This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. They have to stop feeding their kids uh, milk. Mm. And the reason is that the research shows that children who are fed milk are many times more likely to end up developing colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, um, heart disease, diabetes, as they age. And that effect of being fed dairy products as a child has been shown to last as long as 60 to 65 years after exposure. So you're not doing your child, you're actually doing your child a grave disservice, giving them cow's milk. That is unhealthy for them. I'm Jackie Reed, Emmy Award-winning journalist, longtime TV and radio host, and vegan. I created this podcast to give you tips on how easy, delicious, inexpensive, healthy, and fun eating vegan can be. We'll also talk wellness and just how we can make the world a better place. This is the Vegan Sexy Cool Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is going to be a good one, so I encourage you to get as comfortable as possible because this conversation about dairy is going to go deep and you are going to learn a lot, as I did. It's all about milk, why we need to avoid consuming it, and the various plant-based milk alternatives you can try. But we also get into so much more. My guest today is Dr. Milton Mills. He is a race and nutrition specialist who spends much of his time educating people across the country about why a plant-based diet is the way to go. So get ready, because this conversation is going to make you rethink a lot about what you have been eating. Let's get to it. So Dr. Mills, welcome to the Vegan Sexy Cool podcast. It's so good to have you. I have been following your work for a while now. Um, I'm still, I'm almost three years into um, eating vegan. Um, Wonderful. But I am full vegan, lifestyle, everything. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so it's everything for me. So I'm still learning. And that was why I wanted to have you on this podcast, because I specifically wanted to talk about milk um, and uh-huh. the milk industry. This whole episode, I really want to just, just dig into that. Um, and I know you are an expert with so many things, but this is something that you're particularly passion, passionate about. Now, um, how long have you been doing this particular work, talking specifically um, about what we put in our bodies and just really, because I see you everywhere talking about these things. When did this become a uh, passionate work for you to really um, share this message? Um, well, to be completely honest, um, it really started to become my life's work when I initially went plant-based um, over 40 years ago. I was a teenager. Um, and I um, um, joined the Seventh-day Adventist church, okay, ah, as a teenager. Uh-huh. It's about 14 when I first joined. And um, 
some people know, others don't, that the um, Seventh-day Adventist Church encourages its members to become plant-based um, because that the Bible teaches that uh, the original diet for humankind that God pre prescribed for us was a plant-based diet. It was actually a vegan diet. When he mm -hmm. put Adam and Eve in the garden, we're told in Genesis, he told them to be vegans. And even after they kind of messed up and sinned, he enlarged their diet, but it was still an entirely plant-based diet. So they went from eating a primarily fruit-based diet, which was given to them in Genesis 1:29, to a diet that um, he said would include the, quote, plants of the field, which uh, previously had been reserved just for the animals. Um, and um, while that is what the church recommends, recommends, it does not require it. The only thing it requires is that we have to stop eating the type of animals that were considered unclean, such as pork, shellfish, uh, and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a household with um, parents who were from the South. My mom's from Texas. She's an amazing cook. And so when I stopped eating, you know, um, pork chops and ham and all that sort of thing, I felt like that was a huge sacrifice. And I didn't think I could give up um, uh, hamburger, steak, and, uh, and, and chicken. And so I continued eating those things. Uh, but about a year and a half after um, uh, starting my Christian journey, <clears throat> excuse me, I was struggling with some personal issues. And one night I was talking to God about it. Um, and he said to me very clearly, he said, if you want to have a closer relationship with me, you need to have a clearer mind. And for that, you need a better diet. You have to stop eating meat. And I still remember very clearly that when that happened, because I felt um, kind of a sense of panic. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I was like, how can I do this? How am I going to do this? How can I give up something that seems so essential uh, to my life. And so I just said, well, God, if you want me to stop eating meat, you gotta take away the desire to do it. And he did, and I stopped eating meat. Now, at that time, <clears throat> I was vegetarian, meaning that I still included um, eggs and dairy in my diet, although it was primarily in the form of prepared foods, because I'm, uh, profoundly and, and was profoundly lactose intolerant. So I didn't drink milk or eat yogurt. Um, but, you know, I would uh, eat things that had been made with uh, dairy foods or made with eggs. Um, and I was still using cheese on like maybe eating a pizza or in a burrito and that kind of thing. Um, and then around the year 2000, uh, I, um, became more aware of veganism and uh, the uh, problems, uh, health problems associated with um, uh, dairy foods and eggs, and also the cruelty involved in the industries. And that's when I transitioned um, to complete veganism. Mm, mm. So I've been plant-based for over 40 years and in vegan for the last 20. So you started with it for religious reasons. For, um, right. For, I was, Spiritual what, and health reasons. Spiritual, yeah. And, and and when did you realize, will you say, and for health reasons, it started, it seems like it started out, but when did you realize the health benefits? Like, when did well, you see sure. yourself? Oh. So, so, 
when, you know, when I joined the church and the church taught, this is our original diet, this is better for us. I've always been um, a person who was inquisitive and wanted to understand the intellectual underpinnings of anything that I was doing. I mean, if, 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 if there's a reason for doing something, it ought to make sense. Right. And so I started reading what all the things that I could find as a lay person um, in the, you know, uh, that had to do with health. Uh, and true enough, everything I could find showed that people who were plant-based, people who ate a more vegetarian diet, had fewer health problems, lived longer, were healthier. So I early on became convinced that, wow, this does appear to be uh, healthier for me based on um, what I can uh, see from uh, the scientific data. But I still resisted because I just didn't think that I could live without a hamburger. You know, I, I mean, I, I, and so, and I'm going to stop and say parenthetically that I really understand when I speak to people now about changing their diet, that feeling they have of, I need this because I felt that I felt like I can't live without this. Uh, I subsequently realized that it was just an ingrained habit. It was an addiction. Um, and it's an addiction that, you know, we can, we can overcome. Um, but uh, so, but even though I, I, I essentially was convinced that it was healthier for me, I still was resistant until I realized that it was interfering with my relationship with God. Yeah. And um, the choice was my relationship with God or the food that I ate. And, and there really was no choice at that point. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I let it go. And then literally within days, I felt the difference in my body. Mm. Um, I felt more energy. I required less sleep. Um, I, my mind really was clearer. And um, again, as a teenager, I was 16 by that point, my acne just went away. It, mm. it cleared up on it. You know what I'm saying? On its own. Yeah. It, it, I no longer had the zits and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I also found you know, as, as, as uh, time went on, stopped getting colds, um, never got the flu anymore. And, and so by my own experience, it became clear. Yeah, this is real. This is actually better for us, healthier for us. And so there was no question that this is true. This is a health, this is the way uh, our bodies are designed to, to, to function. It's a healthier way to live. And this is what we should all be doing. And so even at that point, as a, um, a teenager, I, I had a very good friend who was a very good artist. Um, and he's actually the one, it was his family that introduced me to the Adventist church. And I uh, got some uh, pictures of, of lions and, and wolves and uh, cows and horses. And I had Ronnie draw, literally make big posters of these various animals and their bone structure. And I started giving talks to people in my neighborhood, friends, people in the church saying, see this, this is, we're not made to eat this stuff. This is how our bodies are made. They look like these animals that are designed to eat plants. This is why when we do this, 
we don't have to 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 uh, get sick and die. And because of course, again, as I'm starting to you know move through my late teens into my early twenties, family members, older family members are starting to get sick and die. You know, the 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 relatives of friends, uh, church members are starting to have heart attacks, be diagnosed with cancers, uh, suffer the ravages of diabetes, and it's clear to me it's because of what they're eating mm -hmm. and you see the the almost the fear in the faces of older people as they're aging wondering am i going to end up being diagnosed with cancer am i going to have a heart attack and there what i realize is that we don't have to live in fear mm -hmm. we don't have to live wondering if one day we're suddenly going to be stricken with severe chest pain and drop dead of a heart attack or if we're going to go to the doctor and he's going to tell us um you know sorry uh, mr mills you've got you know uh, um, metastatic colon cancer or something that that doesn't have to happen if we're willing to change our diet uh, and if we eat the diet that our bodies are designed to eat we can actually live long and healthy lives free from the diseases that are common in Western countries where people eat the way they do. And, and so, so that, that, that drive to, to educate people really started even in my teens. Yeah. Uh, after I changed my diet and saw the impact on my, my, my own health. And then as I went to college, um, I, you know, I grew up in a poor section of Oakland, California and so I wasn't able to start college immediately after high school. I had to work for like four years to kind of get myself financially stable. And so I started college actually going to school full-time at night um, and working 40 hours a week in the daytime. And I kind of thought at that point, I'm like, man, it's too late. You know, I'm so far behind it. So I'll figure out something. And I thought about, well, I'll do a health sciences degree, get a master's in public health, and then try to, you know, educate people that way. Uh, because if I try to go to med school now, I'll be in my 30s. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, by the time I finish. And then at some point, I finally, it dawned on me that, you know, God blessed me to continue living. I was going to be in my 30s at some point. And it was better to be in my 30s practicing medicine than kicking myself in the butt saying, by now, I could have been. Yeah. Plus, I realized that if I didn't have the credentials of a physician, people would not want to listen to what I had to tell them. Yes. And that I needed to be a doctor to both have that thorough knowledge base about human health and physiology and the authority and credentials to, so that people could trust what I was saying. So yes. that's when I decided, yeah, I needed to go to medicine, into medicine. Yeah, well- I went into medical school with the, uh, um, always with the conviction that I was going to spend my career helping people to understand that what they need to do to avoid and treat disease was change their diet and lifestyle. It definitely served you well, because like I said, I see you everywhere as an authority figure um, when it comes to the vegan diet. And so I do want to ask you um, to really share some of your findings um, when it comes to humans um, consuming animal milk specifically sure. um, and dairy products, but specifically milk. Um, because I think you said um, 
you said somewhere, um, I believe this is a quote from you, correct me if I'm wrong, that people shouldn't be drinking cow's milk for the same reason. If someone needed blood, you wouldn't give them cow's blood. Um, and I just, I, <laughs> and, and you know, when I, when I, when I read that, even though, you know, I, I believe these things. And when I read that, I was like, wow, why didn't I think of that? That is a great, cause I'm of course always yeah. out there trying to articulate to people why they really need to, you know, live by a plant-based diet. But I want you sure. to just talk about, about the effects on our bodies of, uh, of animal milk. Sure. So, you know, to, to really understand why um, dairy products, milk and dairy products, because dairy products were made from milk, are so unhealthy for us as humans, we have to step back and, and try to understand what milk is. Um, because in American society, we have all been kind of brainwashed. I, I can't even call it being socialized because we've been brainwashed into thinking that milk is a food, that it is um, uh, um, something that, that the milk of another species is something that we as humans have the option to consume and should consume if we choose to. And nothing could be further from the truth because that is, it is really as bizarre mm -hmm. uh, as the idea of saying, well, cows have blood, this human being over here needs a blood transfusion, so I'm gonna infuse in them cow's blood. Well, everybody knows, oh my God, you're gonna kill them. Well, so the question is, what is milk? What did, you know, God, nature, whoever you think uh, put us here, design milk to be and to do? And all mammals, I mean, in fact, what makes one of the sine qua nons of being a mammal is that the female mammal makes milk to feed her young. And every mammalian species milk is different because it is specifically designed for the young of that species. It is designed to give them what they need to help them grow at the rate they're supposed to be growing. It is designed to give them the uh, Im immunostimulatory uh, proteins and, and uh, factors that they need to stimulate their immune development. Um, and uh, again, if you were to say, Let's say you had a, 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 well, you have a dog. Yeah. Well, let's say that was a, a, a female dog and she gave birth to a litter of puppies and unfortunately went out in the street and got hit by um, a car. And I, this is just for the sake of argument. And let's say you had recently given birth to a baby and you were nursing your baby and you said, well, you know what? I'm going to use, I'm going to pump extra milk to um, um, raise these puppies since my beloved dog is no longer here. Those puppies would die. Hmm. Human breast milk does not have enough protein or other nutrients that those puppies would need to keep them alive and help them grow. Uh, and, and, and that's the point, that, that milks are species specific. And when you compare the milk of uh, uh, human beings to cow's milk. Ha have you, um, um, do you have children? No. 
Oh, okay. But you, I, I'm assuming that at some point you've seen human breast milk. Yes, yes. Human breast milk looks very thin. It's almost translucent. Yeah. And no matter how long you let it sit on the shelf, it doesn't get a layer of cream at the top. Yeah. And that's because human milk, although it actually has the roughly the same amount of fat as cow's milk, the fat in human milk is unsaturated fat. Hmm. And meaning that it stays liquid at room temperature, whereas the milk and the fat in cow's milk is saturated, which means it solidifies. And that's why you can churn butter out of cow's milk. You can make ice cream out of cow's milk, but you can't do that from human milk. Hmm. Cow's milk has almost two and a half times as much protein in it as human milk. And not only does it have much more protein, but those proteins themselves are very different from the proteins found in human milk. And that's important because the proteins in cow's milk stimulate very rapid growth. And rapid growth is not healthy for human beings. Research now is showing that humans are stimulated to grow at a rapid pace. It ultimately results in disease later in life. They have, we have more cancers, we have more heart disease, more diabetes. Um, it, and so it's not a good thing uh, because that's not how our cells are meant to develop in this very rapid fashion. Uh, as you know, human beings are the slowest growing species on the planet. No other uh, species takes 20 years to reach maturity. A cow will go from birth to adult size in three years. But it's born weighing about 60 pounds and its adult weight is 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. So, I mean, that's a massive rate of growth. Yeah. And the proteins that are in cow's milk are designed to stimulate that type of growth. Well, we, shouldn't be ingesting those types of proteins in our bodies. Um, that it's, it, it's like taking jet fuel and putting it in your car. Mm. The engine's gonna eventually explode. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and essentially that's what happens in a way to our bodies that our cells are driven at such a pace that they eventually start to go off track and begin to to develop into tumors and, and their physiology gets abnormal and they become diabetic or, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, they develop autoimmune problems and so forth. And it's because we're putting the wrong uh, substance in it. The other thing is that milk is only meant to be consumed by mammalian infants for a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. All mammals only nurse their infants for um, a relatively short period of time, and then the infant switches to its normal diet. In no species on this planet except humans is milk consumed throughout the uh, uh, lifespan. And again, that's because milk is designed to do two things, make an animal grow and stimulate immune development. Yeah. Well, when you have an animal that's already an, an adult, what happens when you try to make it grow? It can't grow. So if you keep stimulating those cells, trying to make them grow, they start to 
turn into tumors. Mm. And some of those tumors are benign. So people end up with moles, they end up with lipomas, they end up with cysts, um, they end up with skin tags, but a lot of them turn into cancers. And that's why the consumption of dairy and other animal proteins have been shown time and time again through abundant research to stimulate cancer because they are stimulating our cells to grow when they're not supposed to be growing. The other thing that dairy is associated with is autoimmune problems. Because again, Mm. an infant is born with an immature immune system. Part of it's the job of its mother's milk is to stimulate that immune system to develop. Well, again, if you already have a fully developed immune system and you start stimulating it, it's like taking um, a bunch of cops and putting them on meth. They start shooting up everybody. Right. <laughs> and, and our immune cells start attacking our own tissues hmm. because they're being driven and overstimulated. Another a uh, very big problem is uh, the consumption of milk is associated with the exacerbation of asthma and sinusitis. And, and you know, some people may scratch their heads, but I ask them, what is one of the fundamental ways that our respiratory system keeps itself free of dirt and disease? Well, your nasal mucosa, your sinuses, and your um, uh, bronchi and windpipe are all lined with mucus. So that as you breathe in air, if there's dirt, dust, and bacteria particles, they get trapped in the mucus. That mucus is constantly moved up out of your lungs and uh, uh, windpipe. Uh, it's moved into the pharynx, and you can either expectorate it or you swallow it. Yeah. Well, if you have a normal amount of mucus, and then you start to overstimulate production of the mucus, you start to clog up those uh, um, bronchioles and uh, your uh, respiratory uh, airways. And then that's what gives you the, that's what exacerbates the asthma and causes the breathing difficulty. And people start wheezing and coughing because now their respiratory tree is clogged and their sinuses are clogged up with too much mucus. And all of that extra mucus provides a breeding ground for things like bacteria and fungi and so forth. Yeah. Wow. Uh, oh, goodness gracious. It's so much. You know, when I, when I, when I hear you talk about these things, um, some things I know about, most mm-hmm. things I do not. Um, so it's fascinating to talk with you about these things. But Dr. Mills, this stuff is science. Why is there such a struggle to convince so many that eating a plant-based diet and you know, not consuming animal milks and other animal products. Why isn't that message getting across? <laughs> Money. Money. Because so many people are making so much money from the sale of these animal products. And you know, I had someone ask me once, well, wait a minute. If a plant-based diet is so much healthier for us, why aren't the farmers out there, you know, beating the drum, marching down Main Street, trumpeting this message? Well, it's very simple. It's because 70% of the grain 
and soybeans and those things that are grown in this country are consumed by animals that are being grown for humans to eat. They will make far more money, up to 70% more money growing crops to be fed to farm animals to be eaten by humans than if they grew uh, uh, crops to feed directly to humans. Mm. So that's what it's all about. And, and um, you know, I, uh, I, in researching a lot of this, I had been under the mistaken impression <clears throat> that one of the first government food support programs was the, the uh, food stamp program, which is far from the truth. The very first government food support program was actually the school lunch program. Mm -hmm. The school lunch program was created in 1946. And so then the question is, wow, you know, you, you kind of think, wow, the government was really concerned about our kids and um, uh, really wanted to do something to make sure that our kids were taken care of. No, that wasn't the reason it was created. What had happened the year before 1946? I'm thinking of uh, war, war, World War II. What happened? Uh, yeah, so what happened about World War II? It ended. We had been fighting a literal two ocean war yeah. where we're growing enough food, not only to feed our troops that are fighting in Europe and, and uh, the Pacific, but we're also sending food to Russia, to England, and to our, our allies, um, 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 Australia, and so forth. Food production in the United States had ramped up massively. Then all of a sudden, within six months, Boom, the war ends. It ends in Europe in, in, in April. It ends in, in the Pacific in August. The dairy farmers had a massive glut of milk and dairy products, and they were afraid that prices were gonna crash and they were gonna go out of business. So they petitioned the government and the government said, I know, we'll buy it from you and sell it to, and give it to our, our kids. And so they created the school lunch program to get rid of dairy surplus uh, production. So it had nothing to do with the, the, the well, being concerned about the welfare kids. It was just to create a market to get rid of excess dairy production. And fast so, forward. So that's what this is all about, money. Yeah. And so you fast forward to today and those relationships and decisions from way back then are still driving, you know, uh, money and, and farmers Absolutely. making money from this. And, you know, it's still driving the sales of dairy products and meat products. And it's not about health, but why doesn't, do they also spend money? Um, you know, because I, I, I've seen, of course, several documentaries and, and but I'm mm -hmm. just asking for the audience. So, so why doesn't the science prevail though? Why isn't there, are they spending money to stop this information from getting out there? They are spending money to drown it out. And in, in the United States, you know, money, unfortunately, influences policy. It's, it's yeah. you know, why are we still paying tobacco price supports when everybody knows tobacco causes cancer, but we're still paying tobacco farmers to produce a known carcinogen? Yeah. It's because they lobby Congress. 
Uh, many of the senators and representatives from the southern states that produce tobacco have been in Congress for years, meaning they have seniority. They run these appropriation committees and they make sure that these price supports stay in place. And it's very similar with uh, dairy and commodity productions. Um, uh, those you know products like uh, white rice, white flour, all the stuff that creates all the garbage that's bad for us. These industries have huge budgets and they pay these congressmen to keep their products uh, in play. So for instance, it is still a requirement that milk be provided to every child who uh, participates in the school lunch program. Yeah. Even though everybody knows now that the vast majority of children of color are intolerant to lactose, the sugar that's in milk, it'll make them sick if they drink it, they still have to be given the milk. Now, what many people don't know is that they are not required, or excuse me, they still have to be offered the milk. But most school programs interpret that to mean that they have to be given the milk. So it's still given to them. I grew up in Oakland, California. Um, my brothers and I, we um, were in the school lunch program. And every time we picked up our tray, there was a carton of milk on it. It went right in the trash, but it was on there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the influence of industry is what drives uh, our food policy from the government. And it is, it has nothing to do with what's best or what's most healthy for the American public. It's all about what's going to put dollars in somebody's pocket. Yeah. And one of the most frustrating things that I've experienced is participating in the, um, uh, testimony before the uh, Dietary Guidelines Committee, um, which is the um, committee that advises the group that ultimately come, uh, um, develops the U.S. Dietary Guidelines, which when I, uh, before I first participated in that process, I was under the misapprehension that the United States Dietary Guidelines were put out by the Department of Health and Human Services, because that would make sense, right? We want dietary guidelines from the people who are concerned about our health. No, the U.S. and and here again, this this perfectly explains the influence of money. The U.S. dietary guidelines are put out by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and the dietary guidelines, which were created in 1980, only in 1980. I thought it was much much earlier. It was 1980. Were conceived not as a way of ensuring better health for Americans, but as a way of uh, encouraging Americans to consume more of what America, American agribusiness producers were producing. Mm -hmm. So the USDA said, how can we convince Americans to eat more of what our farmers are producing? Well, we'll come out with dietary guidelines that will encourage them to eat more meat. That'll encourage them to eat more dairy. Yeah. And, and to, to, to make it look better, they formed this, uh, the first committee and every subsequent committee was a, um, uh, this kind of chimera made up of industry representatives and health officials. And from its very inception, there was this uh, uh, friction and, and conflict between the people who were trying to get 
scientific recommendations, which are saying eat less meat, eat less dairy, eat less sugar, and those who were promoting those things because they wanted to make money. And that's really, really where, where it all sits. Wow. Uh, so let me ask this question for, you know, mothers who may be listening to this with, sure. you know, with young children that are not still breastfeeding, but they're feeding them milk and they're just like, oh, wow. You know what they, in their minds, they're thinking, you know, well, if I stop feeding my child milk, what do I replace that with? Because they're not going to be getting what they think that these kids like calcium, right? You know, for the, for strong bones and all of that stuff. It's just not necessary. So it's not necessary to replace milk for health reasons. It's just in our mind, we just want something to drink with our cereal. Right. Right. right? Something right. That is absolutely, you are absolutely correct. It is a cultural habit, not a nutritional necessity. Yeah. That that is just that is just the bottom line. But it's actually even uh, um, I would say more uh, important than that because it's important they have to stop feeding their kids uh, milk. Mm. And the reason is that the research shows that children who are fed milk are many times more likely to end up developing colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, um, heart disease, diabetes as they age. And that effect of being fed dairy products as a child has been shown to last as long as 60 to 65 years after exposure. Mm. So you're not doing your child, you're actually doing your child a grave disservice, giving them cow's milk. That is unhealthy for them. And, you know, there's all sorts of marketing and advertising to try and dupe you into thinking you're doing something healthy for your child. But it literally feeding your child cow's milk is as unhealthy as if you transfused, well, I shouldn't say as unhealthy, but it is similar to transfusing cow's blood into them. It is not good for them. It is not healthy. Um, moreover, let's talk about the calcium. Because that is the big sort of deception yeah. that, that the, the dairy industry um, forced on the American public. And that is the idea that the best source of calcium in the diet is cow's milk. Well, the first thing I say to people is, it's true, there is calcium in cow's milk. Where did it come from? Was the cow drinking milk? No. So where did she get the calcium? It's right. in her milk from green plants. Right. You don't need milk to build a strong skeleton. Cows stop drinking their mother's milk by their first birthday when they weigh about 600 pounds. They will go on to double their weight and size before they reach adulthood. And they do that eating nothing but green plants. So, the, that, so most of their skeleton comes from eating green plants. Most of the calcium in their skeleton comes from eating green plants. That is true for all mammals in nature. Mm -hmm. Most of the calcium in their skeletons comes from eating their regular diet, not from their mother's milk, because they don't nurse throughout their entire life. Yeah. Even more sort of uh, uh, illustrative of 
the importance of green plants to, to bone health is if you take a six foot human being, remove all of the flesh, tissue, organs off of his skeleton and just weigh the, the bones themselves, the, the skeleton of a six foot man weighs about 25 pounds. Hmm. Okay, just the bones. Well, everybody has seen a bull moose with a rack of antlers, right? Those antlers on that moose weigh around 85 pounds and they're made out of solid bone. Wow. The moose grows those things in three months. Mm -hmm. Three months, 85 pounds over three times as heavy as a human skeleton that took this man 20 years to grow. This animal grows it in three months eating nothing but green plants. Yeah. You don't need milk for calcium. And then lastly, what's most important is all of the research shows that dairy calcium does not build strong bones. In every society where uh, there is a high per capita intake of dairy products, milk and other dairy products, those countries have the highest rates of osteoporosis, which means weak bones, and hip fractures, which comes from having weak bones. And it's because there is so much acidic, acid producing animal protein in that milk that it causes our bodies to lose more calcium in our urine than we can extract from that glass of milk. So it's a, it's a lost cause. Yeah. Harvard Nurses Health Study shows that milk does not protect your skeleton. Mm. How do we change this, um, Dr. Mills? How do we get more people to really accept this? Because there are those who will fight you just tooth and nail, right? You know they will fight you on this and they're not even in the milk industry, sure. um, you know, or in the dairy industry, I should say, um, or in the meat industry. They just, you know, I've encountered people who just, they just hate the idea of uh, eating vegan they hate you know they hate vegans or they sure. strongly detest them and it's very visceral it's just a mm -hmm. very like what how do we like why are people so angry about this well again you know when i i i when i'm talking to people at, at my uh, lectures i tell them when we think of addiction Everybody talks about the alcoholic, crack addict, yeah. heroin addict, somebody who's addicted to meth. But I tell them, you have not seen the face of addiction until you try to take a piece of fried chicken out of somebody's hand. Yeah. Those are the people who are addicted. Meat is addicting. It is, and I know, as I said at, when we first started talking, I know from experience that it was an addiction and it was an addiction every bit as strong as alcohol, cigarettes, heroin, you name it. And when people are addicted to something, they will fight you over that addiction. They will argue you down about it. Um, and having said that, I will say that in, in some respects, drug addicts are at least a couple steps ahead of people who are addicted to meat because at least some of them will say, I know this is not good for me. I'm not ready to give it up, but I know it's not good for me. Right. Whereas 
people who are addicted to animal foods are trying to convince themselves that this is healthy for them, you know, in between popping their Lipitor and Crestor and blood pressure medicine and shooting themselves up with insulin and going to their chemotherapy session. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, <laughs> how can you sit there barely able to move from arthritis, you know, going to get chemotherapy for cancer on 15 heart medicines and tell me that this is not unhealthy. It is. It's killing you. You know, you look at your family members. They start dropping dead in their 40s when the natural lifespan for a human being should be close to 100 years old. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the thing is people have to be willing to face reality and, you know, have that come to Jesus moment like I did and realize, you know what? this stuff is not good for me and I'm willing to give it up. And until they get to that point, the best that we can do is exactly what you're doing. And that is work to educate people and, um, and wait on God to hopefully break through all of the, you know, confusion and craziness and help them to realize, you know what, you got to change. I tell people, if you want to feel differently, you have to do differently. Yeah. And you can't keep doing the same things that are making you sick and feel terrible and think that there's some magic pill or some magic herb that's going to undo the evils of a bad diet. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You've got to do differently if you want to feel differently. And that's just the bottom line. It really is. And nowhere does that message need to be heard than in the Black American community, particularly, Absolutely. particularly with what's going on with COVID and what Absolutely. it has unveiled about who's dying from who's this, people right. with pre-existing conditions. Right. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's something that I want people to understand about what's going on there. Because I, I look at what we celebrate and what we eat in our community and it just horrifies me. You hear people talking about, oh my God, have you tried that Popeye's chicken sandwich? It is so good. Or, you know, KFC and that popcorn chicken. Or, you know, I gotta go get me some uh, 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 chicken fingers. But nobody asks the question of what's in this garbage? Or what's in this stuff? What is it actually doing for me? Because the point is that food is not supposed to be this disjointed gustatory masturbatory experience. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're not eating for pleasure, just for pleasure. The point is that food is supposed to deliver energy and nutrients to our body. Nowadays, we've got a lot of garbage that will deliver grease, uh, fat, salt, calories to your body, but there's no nutrients in it. Yeah. And so you think you're healthy, you think that you're fit, but the fact is that your body is nutrient depleted. And so when you are suddenly challenged by something like COVID and your immune system needs all of those uh, vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals that come from plants, but all you've been eating is chopped Popeyes and Chick-fil-A, you've got nothing to fight with. Yeah. 
So that COVID comes in and takes you right out. Mm. That's where the problem is. We are eating nutrient depleted food. And in fact, some of that stuff is so uh, um, dangerous and destructive, it actually has what I call negative nutrients because it depletes our body of uh, vitamins and minerals in order to process it. So you end up with fewer new, uh, vitamins and minerals after you eat it than you had before you started to eat it. So it's no wonder we succumb so quickly to infections like COVID because we have nothing to fight off the disease with. And that's why every time someone sits down to eat, they've got to ask themselves, what nutrients is this food delivering to my body? And if the only thing it's delivering is, you know, uh, grease and, 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 and uh, calories and, and a good taste, it may be pleasurable, but it's not a good experience and it's not good for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean. That's exactly what it is. It's just, uh, I don't understand why people, you know, but I had to get to a point of learning. But once right, I right. did, once I realized, like, you know, three years ago, I just didn't have the access. I, I wasn't paying attention. That's right. the thing. I wasn't, I had friends, you know, who were vegan. Um, I'm an animal lover and I am a ethical vegan. It was the animals that, you know, this animal suffering that convinced me. Um, loved animals all my life. Thought about becoming a veterinarian. But it was just, I just had this aha moment when I saw a video, a very brief video of <clears throat> what was happening to cows you know, in the meat and dairy industry. And that was the thing. I think that, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart to even talk about it, but I think that people want to just pretend like that's not happening. Mm -hmm. They don't want to know what's happening for those chicken fingers to mm -hmm. land on their plate or for that burger or for that steak or for that glass of milk. Right. I mean, right. it is. It's horrible. It's horrible. And, and particularly where the dairy industry is concerned, yeah. we, are, we are so lied to and deceived because for years, even after I became plant-based, I thought that, first of all, many people don't realize that a cow has to be pregnant in order to start to produce milk. Most of us have in our minds, because this is the impression we've deliberately been given, yeah. is that a female cow just automatically makes milk. Yes. Because she's yes. a cow. I believe no. that. She's a Me too. She's a mama. That's why she produces the milk. Right. The other thing that we're led to believe is that she gets to feed her baby and we only take part of her milk. Yeah. People don't realize that, no, it is a system of institutionalized cruelty where these cows are forcibly impregnated. Once they deliver their babies, their babies are snatched from them and then they are basically milked to death and then sent to die, you know, for cheap hamburger. It is a system of, of monstrous cruelty. Yeah. Um, and that the, uh, the, the baby girl calves that are born are doomed to be exploited the same way their mothers were, but the boys are basically butchered for veal. 
And that's Which why is veal is veal. such a delicacy, right? That's how that's veal. why veal is so nice and tender. And it's such a it's such a innocuous sounding word, veal. Right. You know, like it, it, it like it came from some I don't know some cabbage patch somewhere. No, it is a baby animal. It is a a murdered baby. Yeah, that's what you're eating. You know, I mean, at least admit it and face it and deal with it. And and it and it's, it's horrible. Yeah, you're eating a, you're eating a dead baby. Yeah, I just I I I can't. You know, I interviewed um, uh, Jane Velez Mitchell, who I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with. Um, I was just telling, because for me, really, um, the hardest part of all of this is um, just when you gain the knowledge of it is just um, how depressing it can be to learn uh, what really happens in the animal industry. And those of us who are fighting to, you know, say, you know, stop this cruelty, right. you have to take that all in. And the advice that she gave me, which really made me think she was like, you know, you have to, and I can't remember who she said, I think the, the woman who's the head of PETA said to her, you know, we don't have time to be sad. There's too much work to be done. We just don't have time. She's like, that's not going to save them. That's not going to bring them back. You wallowing in sorrow. And I'm glad she said that to me because I, as you were saying that, I was reminding myself right. of that um, because I can definitely wallow in the sadness of it all. It's just, just so heartbreaking. Um, and I wish that I had really known the truth sooner. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I just no, never I, thought about it. I know exactly what you mean. And, and, and to an extent, that's the whole idea. That's why we're given earbuds and we're bombarded with, you know, all of this flashbang information 24 seven is to keep us from thinking. Yeah. That's why I tell people, pull the earbuds out of your ear, turn off the, the video, turn off the, stop, think, read a book think about what you're doing with your life because you can go through a whole day and keep stuff flooding into your brain to the point that you really never have time for a conscious thought yeah and we got to get off that treadmill and start to as the bible says consider our ways mm -hmm. think about what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing so that we can learn to make better choices not only for ourselves but for the other creatures that we share this planet with and 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 i agree that as she said you can't wallow in your sadness but i would say that you 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 find a place for it so it's it's, it's like if you were to have a family member who was you know kidnapped raped and killed you're not going to forget about that family member but you're going to start working to try and change the conditions that allowed that to happen. Right. I mean, you're going to always carry that grief with you because it's going to motivate you. But you're not going to, the, the thing is, I think it's important to hurt a little bit. Yeah. Because that reminds us of why we're doing what we're doing and why it's important. And so you find a place for it. You don't let it drag you down, but you let it motivate you. Yeah. And, that's, and, I, and I think that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I definitely am. I am definitely fueled to keep up this fight. And I wanna let people know, help people to learn about this information and this science and these facts um, as much as I can. So I I appreciate your time really um, here on the podcast. I'm so glad you time. I learned so much as I knew I would. Um, <laughs> so 
So I appreciate it so much, Dr. Mills. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, one last thing, I, I guess, closing thought, and yeah. I think this is important for people to, to realize is that I remind people that none of us were born with preferences. Everything we think we need, we can't live without, somebody taught us to want those things. Mm -hmm. And just like we were taught to like things that were not good for us, things that are destructive to our health or destructive to the planet, we can unlearn those things and learn better things. And the last question I frequently ask an audience is, how many of you guys are in a relationship? All these hands go up. Then I say, how many of you are in relationships with the very first person you fell in love with? All the hands go down. And I'm like, think back to that first person you fell in love with. There was a time you thought you couldn't live without that person. And then they said something stupid like, I support Trump. And you're like, why am I with this fool? And just like you learn to love somebody else, you can learn to love something else. Yeah. And yeah. once you love something, you love it. And I know, again, that that's true for me, that when I learn to eat differently, I love this, this, this lifestyle. I love my diet. There's the thought that I used to put dead, rotting corpses into my uh, uh, body horrifies me now. Yeah. I have no desire. I would never, ever go back. And I don't miss it, don't want it. And I'm just looking forward and towards the future. Yeah, you and me both. You and me both. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mills. This has been really fantastic. I hope you'll come back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. And a very special thank you to my guest, Dr. Mills, for sharing so much great information. Please check the show notes on how you can learn more about Dr. Mills. And if you have a moment, please don't hesitate to leave a comment and be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media at VeganSexyCool. And then visit VeganSexyCool.com so you do not miss out on getting your vegan life. Until next time, everybody, I'm Jackie Reed. Stay safe and stay sane. <music>